Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. A call to confession this morning comes from Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Well, that principle is fairly straightforward. It's a matter of fact and direct. There is a measure of strength, and it is whether it holds up or not under duress. Take, um, take tools, for example. A good pair of pliers or wire cutters will last and will work well for years. They'll hold up against hard wire, hard metal. But a cheap knockoff is junk. And you find that out the first time you put it to the test. It won't hold up. When you apply this proverb to men, this verse is talking about faith in God. Because strength is a matter of faith. And that's because courage and hope are essential to true strength. If you take away courage, if you take away hope, the hands become feeble and the knees become weak. But faith does not stand alone. Faith has an object. And the identity of that object defines the size of the strength. So if we have faith in something other than God, our faith is limited by whatever our faith is in. If we put our faith in ourselves, we're limiting our faith by our own strength. And what are we but mist and grass that fades away? Faith in human institutions and governments and armies have the same problem. They all come, they all go, and they all fail. But the Bible teaches that the faith that is strong is founded on the ultimate foundation of God. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God created the world. He ordains the happenings in it, and he governs the trajectory of history and mankind. He makes nations and kings, and he destroys them. And this means that every day of adversity belongs to him. It's in his hands. He's in control of it. Therefore, by faith and belief in his gospel, we can be strong. We can know that he loves us, he died for us, and he will ultimately deliver us to life and to salvation. He makes us strong in the day of adversity because we know that we are his and we are doing his work and only what's done for him will last. That said, we must confess our lack of faith. Despite God's clear revelations and his manifest truth, we often turn to the cheap knockoffs the world has to offer. And we know we are guilty of this because we faint in the day of adversity. Our nation legalized the murder of infants, and we, we fret. Our nation institutionalizes theft and oppression through the Affordable Care Act, and we complain. We turn on the news, we watch ISIS beheading Christians, 
and we're shocked. We see Ebola in Africa and we shake our heads. We see the mockery of Christ and the establishment of secularism in our government and schools and we shrug. We see the rise of domestic violence and crime and gangs and divorce in our society and we turn the other way. We see all of this. We stand around, dumbfounded, overwhelmed, frustrated, and wondering what to do about it all. And we do this because our strength is small. Therefore, we must confess our lack of faith because our God is not small. He is still in control. And he sees all from heaven and he judges. And he judges rightly. So have faith. Confess. Repent. And believe. And he will make you strong. Now if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. of our Lord Jesus Christ, light is an important and prominent theme in Christian literature. It plays a role in everything from baptismal formulas to Christian hymn hymnody. One early Christian hymn was called the Phos Hilaron, which is the joyful light of the Father, which celebrates and praises the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for being light in the world. Another hymn writer, Christopher Wordsworth, in his hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness, picks up on an early theme in the early church uh, uh, known as the triple light. The light that was created on the first, the light was created on the first day of the week. God spoke on the first day of the week into darkness and there was light. Christ rose from the, first, uh, from the dead on the first day of the week. And the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven also on the first day of the week. And thus, on the first day of the week being Sunday, the Lord's Day, a triple light was given. There's no wonder why light was such a prominent theme in the church's literature. Because it is a prominent theme all throughout scripture. Several Psalms, for example, speak of the Lord as my light. And my salvation. Think of Psalm 27, verse 1, or Psalm 36. In his light, in the Lord's light, we see light. And also Psalm 118. Isaiah also foresaw the coming of the Messiah as the day when the Lord would shine his light on his people. Think also of the writings of the Gospel of John, of the Apostle John. Christ is the light that shined in darkness, but was not comprehended by the darkness. Light is also a theme in the writings of the Apostle Paul, and it is the theme in our text. But it is used in a way that I think ought to give us pause. Now we're accustomed in scripture and also in Christian literature to think of God as the light. God is the one who must shine into darkness in order for there to be light. But here in this text, Paul says, you are light, you are light, you're light in the Lord. And that is the theme that uh, uh, this passage is 
teaching us today that we who are in Christ are also light and we must walk as children of light. So that is our theme for the day. We who are in Christ are light and we must walk as children of light. We're going to look at this in three points. I didn't give you an outline, but I'll give you the three points here ahead of time. So for those of you who are taking notes, first, your new identity. Your new identity. Second, <coughs> the commands that are uh, given to us as children of light. Um, and you can summarize it in this way. You are light. Act. Act as light. And then thirdly, we are going to look at the uh, evangelistic goal and purpose of being light. So first then, your new identity. Paul here gives us a before and, and after. Who we once were, but who we are now in the Lord. He says, you were once darkness, but now light in the Lord. It's a stark contrast, and perhaps there's no greater contrast than between total darkness and light. When you are in a room that is totally dark, and then suddenly a little bit of light, doesn't need to be much, just a little bit of light shines in that room, it makes a world of difference. And we need to realize that the language, though, uh, that the apostle uses here is creation language. In Genesis 1, we read that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Paul is saying that you were once like the chaotic preformed world that was nothing more than a dark abyss. But then one day, the word of the Lord came to you. The Lord said, he spoke into your dark heart, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And since that day, you have been in the light. But not only have you been in the light, you are light in the Lord. Christ is your light, and in him, you are the light of the world, as Jesus says in Matthew 5.14. We see then that Paul is using creation language, and in doing so, he is making reference to your new creation. You are, in Christ, new creation. The old has gone, the darkness has passed, the new has come, a new day with all its light is shining in your heart. And notice, though, that Paul doesn't say, you ought to be, or you hopefully one day will be light. No, he says, you are light. doesn't say try to be light. You are light. There's no escaping your identity here. You are not unlit candles hoping that someday someone is going to add a flame to your wicks and then you are going to shine. That is not your identity. You are light. Brothers and sisters, I tell you that this is good news. This is good news. You are now in Christ, and you who believe in him have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You exist in a new realm, 
a new kingdom, and you have been given a new identity. No longer do you live in darkness. No longer are you darkness. You are now light in the Lord. And we need to keep in mind those three little words, in the Lord. You do not shine by yourself. You are not like the sun, which makes its own light. Rather, you are like the moon, who receives the light from the sun, but is still light nonetheless. The moon was set in its place to govern the night. And that is who you are. You shine the light of Christ. You do not shine of yourself because you were once darkness. Darkness cannot give birth to light. Light gives birth to light. And remember that the good news of Jesus Christ is that you must somehow become light on your own. Christ shined upon you while you were still darkness. And now in him you are light. And if I may, I would like to apply this to, to baptism. We were told that uh, it is your obligation, your duty to teach your children, to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to train them up in the doctrines and teachings of the Christian faith. But I also want to submit to you, it is also your duty, our duty as parents, to teach our kids what their identity is. You see, in this day and age, the reigning philosophy is let your children decide what they want to be, what their identity is. Let them find their own way. Let them find their own identity. Let them discover themselves. Now, you may think, well, that's a monumental task to teach my children about a, their identity in Christ and to train them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, it's a task that is set up for failure when we teach our kids that you have to find your own way in life. Without a, an identity that the kids can make reference to, that our children can make reference to, we have set them up for failure. The teaching that they must find their own identity and find their own way in life is deadly. And it will lead our children to wander and to uh, drift. And we see that so often in our society. Children who have grown up without a real identity have uh, gone in so many different ways and their life uh, is tragic often because they do not have an identity in Christ. So it is necessary for us as parents to teach our children that in Christ they are light. Secondly then, that is our identity first. Uh, our, our identity. Secondly, the imperatives or the commands that God gives us as children of light. You are light, act as light. Now there are two imperatives which flow out of your new identity. You are light in the Lord. Walk, that's our first imperative or command. Walk as children of light. Secondly, expose. Expose the works of darkness. Now again, these imperatives would be meaningless totally meaningless if they didn't flow out of who you are in Christ. Imagine if Paul had said, you are darkness, but you still need to walk as children of light, or you need to expose the darkness. Darkness cannot give birth to light, nor can darkness expose itself. Light gives birth to light, and only darkness can 
uh, and, and excuse me, and only light can expose darkness. So then, if these imperatives are to have any meaning for you at all, they have to flow out of the fact that your identity in Christ is children of light. So, first imperative or command: walk. This is pilgrim language. Paul, as you know, uh, was a traveler. He went all over the known world of his day, but. Uh, and, and so he was familiar with having to walk as a pilgrim or traveler all, all over the place. But one of our basic identities as believers is that of a pilgrim. We're travelers, pilgrims on the road that leads to life. This road is dangerous and many temptations are on that road. And we, in the Psalms we read that scripture is the light that shines on our path. But here in Paul's official epistle to the Ephesians, it is significant that we walk as children of light. Scripture is indeed a light to our path. But we are now in the Lord. The Lord who dwells in us by his spirit is also illuminating our path. So we see in scripture then that to walk is a picture of living out the Christian life. And we do that by the light of the word, but also now by the light that the Holy Spirit gives to us. It is no good to live out the Christian life in darkness. One needs the light of Christ. Indeed, one must be light in the Lord in order to live out the Christian faith. And Paul says, walk, walk as children of light. What does, that, what does this mean? Well, he elaborates. He, he uh, elaborates in, in two ways. He said, first of all, the fruit of the light. We could also insert the fruit of the spirit for the spirit is light is in all goodness righteousness and truth again light produces light it cannot produce darkness the fruit that we produce as children of light must be that which is good right and true we need to take note here this is very important to understand that goodness righteousness and truth are all attributes of God. Paul says that we are children of light. This is another way of saying that we are children of God. God is light. So being children of light is being children of God. We are no longer children of darkness. That is, children who resemble another father. Yes, there is another father to resemble in this world. Who is he? The devil. Christ said to the Jews who hated the light that they were of their father, the devil. But we who are in the light are like our Heavenly Father, who is light indeed, and He is called the Father of lights. So we must be like our Heavenly Father and walk as His children in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then Paul says, discerning, discerning. It says in verse 10 in the ESV, many of you might have different translations, but in the ESV it's an unfortunate uh, way of expressing it. It says, try to discern. No, that's not the word. It's discerning. Not try to discern. Discerning uh, what is good and pleasing to the Lord. Uh, now, there are many places that we can go in Scripture to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We can think of the Ten Commandments, for example. Or Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy, loving kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, humility. But we can start with the categories that Paul gives us right here. What is good? What is right? What is true? You see, Paul loves to give uh, lists of, of what is good and right and true. We just read one in Ephesians 4, or sorry, Philippians 4. Paul says, uh, think of what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and so on. But then he tells us, think or meditate on these things. And remember, when scripture tells us to meditate on things, it means us means for us to do it often, day and night, as Psalm 1 says. So all these categories, good, true, right, honorable, justice, humility, love, we need to fix these categories in our minds. We need to meditate upon these things and how the scripture defines these things. And we need to make them so much of a part of us that we are able automatically to discern God's good and pleasing will. And, and, and congregation, the more you think and meditate on these things, the easier it becomes to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. So that is the first uh, command, walk. Secondly, expose. Paul says, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Uh, recall 1 Corinthians 6, 14 and following. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Your identity, people of God, is no longer with those who are in darkness. So don't become involved in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. But rather, what, what are we to do? We are children of light. Therefore, no longer having fellowship with their unfruitful deeds of darkness, expose them. And the word, uh, the Greek word here is show these things for what they really are. And what are these unfruitful works of darkness? Well, Paul says they are things that are even too shameful to speak about. Now, some have suggested wrongly that Paul here is kind of reverting back to his old Phariseeism and self-righteousness. Paul is saying, ah, I'm too self-righteous to even speak about these uh, deeds that go on in the darkness. Is Paul being self-righteous here? I think not. Rather, Paul is exposing the things that go on in darkness for what they really are. That is, shameful acts that are so shameful that they shouldn't even be mentioned. And this is a biblical view of sin. We need to see the shame in sin and wickedness. The world delights in wicked acts. It takes pleasure in dirty deeds done dirt cheap. It sees freedom and self-identity in these wicked acts. But those who are in the light, we who are in the light, must view these things as God views them. That is, detestable shameful things that ought not to be mentioned. We who are in the light have no interest in talking about the shameful thoughts, desires, and deeds of sin. We have better things to talk about, think about, and yes, things to enjoy. Never forget that pleasing God, discerning God's will, 
is for our enjoyment. It's not just for our intellectual uh, whatever. It's for also our enjoyment. That's why God created us, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever. So those are the two commands. Walk, expose. Thirdly, the evangelistic goal of being children of light. Verse 13 and 14 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is Paul saying here? Well, first of all, I think he's saying that the very fact that we are light makes makes the world uncomfortable. What happens when you turn on the light in a room, uh, a dark room that is full of cockroaches? Cockroaches scatter. They flee to the darkest corner. They flee away from light. The world in sin hates light. And when it sees the light, it does what it can to flee from it. Now it must be said that our our darkness exposure, our light shining, is not so much about what we do. Again, remember, our identity. So it's not so much what we do, but who we are. Who we are. We shine because we are children of light. And many times as Christians, the light we shine on the wicked is simply a result of our presence in the world. The light we shine exposes two things. Exposes first the works of the wicked for what it really is, works of darkness. It also exposes the wicked for who they really are. That is, those who belong to the kingdom of darkness. It also exposes those who belong to the kingdom of darkness, those who are in the dark, those who belong to this kingdom of darkness, have no desire to be in the light. And this was Christ's experience when he came to shine in darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. What is this? What is this light? That was the world's reaction. So that is, first of all, what our light shining does. But second, light has an attractional nature. And this should be the goal of our light shining. And and, and I I, want to be clear here. This goal of our light shining, the attractional nature of shining our light, should not be something that's just extracurricular to the Christian faith. Our identity is light, and so we must be a light that gathers people from the darkness to see the true light of Jesus Christ. That's not something that's just, well, if I get around to it. No, you are light. You must shine in this world so that Christ can be glorified. Matthew 5:14 Jesus says, "You are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that's not optional, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." There is an evangelistic purpose to walking as children of light. Yes, true, many in the world, in the darkness, are going to react hostilely to the light. They will, uh, But it's true also that many will see your light and be attracted to it. And that is what we 
wish for and hope for. They will see the good that you do and the good that you are, and they will desire to know more. And this section ends with the gospel call, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That, that's our calling to the world. That's the, wor- that's, that's the light that we need to shine to the world. Remember, that light sh- first shone upon us, shined upon us. Christ first said to us, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and I will shine on you. Should we just then put our bas- uh, 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 lamps under a, a, a bushel basket and, and uh, just hope for the best? No. We're to be light to the world. As Christ first shined upon us, so we are to shine so that the world may see our good deeds and give glory to God in heaven. And so walking people of God as children of light also means that we must always be ready to give an answer of the hope that we have within us. It must be our desire that letting our light shine before men will result in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ being shined in the hearts of those who are yet in darkness. And so then, brothers and sisters, remember who you are. Remember your identity. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and may your light shine before men so that they may give glory to your father in heaven in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit let's pray to the Lord's table. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Here we remember and are reunited with our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called each of us out of darkness into his light. He has revealed himself to us in his word and joined us to the church by baptism as we saw this morning. Here he nourishes and strengthens us to be his people. He feeds us so that we might be bold and not faint, that we might be strong to do his work in this world, establishing his kingdom, declaring his gospel to the ends of the earth, a city set on a hill, children of light, bearing witness by the power of his Holy Spirit. Receive him and believe, trust in him and live, eat, drink, and rejoice at the life God has freely bestowed upon you. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website. ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K M I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.